I can't, I can't get enough of that. I love that every time I hear it. It's amazing. Hey, let me just say this. A happy birthday to us. 18 years ago, six families took a chance for the kingdom of God and planted New Heights Church this weekend. Can you believe it? Last service, just one family was here. I, I want to make sure, are there any families who are a part of that, that initial planting? You were, you were, why don't you stand right now? So I just want to see you. Stand up real, don't be ashamed. There's the Popes back there, Elder Kevin, his wife Karen. Give them a big hand. Thank you. They said the kingdom of God was worth it. Literally, they said, we want more of an expression of the book of Acts to be more communal, to, to do some of the things that we're going to look at this morning. Um, praise God. Praise God for their faithfulness. Well, welcome back to our, our series in the book of Acts. If you'd like to follow along a little more in depth, you can follow my outline. Go to, go to the, the Bible app, if you have a Bible app of the Version Bible, and my outline is there. Okay, here's the big question for this morning. Uh, this is rhetorical. You don't have to say it out loud. Just think about it. Um, but here's the question. What's a church? That's a big, that's a big question right now in, in our culture, in our first world American culture. What's a church? How many of you, if this week, somebody came up to you and they asked, what did you, what'd you do this week? And you said, well, I went to church. And they said to you, um, <laughs> so what's a church? What's a church? How would you respond? What would your answer be? Where would you, where would you take them in the Bible? The truth is, there's a lot of churches all over the world. There's a lot of Christians. And just to be real frank, some, if not many Christians, don't really know what a church is. And over the years, um, I've heard some strange definitions of what a church is. When Ruth and I were first married, uh, we were really involved in our local church in Wilmington, Delaware, and we were helping to lead the college ministry. And, and some of the college guys on a kind of a yearly basis would head south to stay at their parents' beach houses in Rehoboth, Delaware. So I asked them, guys I was close with and discipling and, and meeting with for accountability, I said, hey, I said, do you go to church down there? And they're like, nah, but we do church in the beach house, man. Oh, okay. And they're like, yeah, we do it on the sand in a, in a boat. We have church on a dock, on the boardwalk. We spend all summer in God's glorious creation. That's our church. I mean, that sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds good. Is that a church? No, that's a bunch of college guys on a beach. <laughs> that's all it is. It's cool. I've heard other people say this. This is one of the hot new things. They say, well, we do church um, in a coffee shop or a bar, a pub. Like, we're with the people. Frappuccino, baby, mocha. I'm trying to think of other drinks. I don't even know. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a coffee guy. <laughs> That's about all I got. They're like, we hang out together and we just visit. We have accountability. It's, our, it's kind of our cool getting together time. That's our church. Is that a church? No, it's, it's not a church. Here's one of my favorites. I, I heard it more when I was in central Arkansas, usually from men. 
actually always from men. I would see guys check out for, for sometimes months at a time during hunting season. I'd say, where have you been? Where have you been? They're like, we went to our church. It's, it's deer camp. Deer camp's our church, man. Just me and my bros hanging out in God's creation, firing high power rifles, spending time together, fellowshipping. Are any of these things bad? No. I'm not anti-beach, coffee shop, or deer camp. All of those things can be perfectly fine and, and good, but they're not the church. So where would you go to define the church, to explain the church, to our, articulate the church? Here's another go-to for a lot of people. This is my all-time favorite. This is the one that most people use. Math, Matthew chapter 18 um, is the most common definition of the church that I've ever heard that's actually not the church. Jesus says this in Matthew 18. You can finish the sentence for me if you want. Where two or more are gathered, I am there with them. And some people come along and they say, well, that's it, man. Anywhere there's two or more believe, believers gathered, the Lord is with them. That's a church. Beach house, coffee shop, deer camp, in your face, Pastor Lee, that's a church. Is it a church? I know. First service the same way. And a lot of people came up to me and they're like, I... In between, so I didn't, I don't, I, I kind of went with that one and I kind of thought anywhere I'm at is the church and you kind of threw me off here. No, it's not a church. Matthew 18, I'm going to bum some people out here. It's about church discipline. If one person has a conflict with another person, they need to bring in two or three witnesses to help fix the mess. That's not a definition of a church, but that's a number of witnesses in a church that are required to untangle some sort of relational sinful knot. Also, since part of Matthew chapter 18 is about church discipline, you ready for this? It implies that you have to have a structured church to have church discipline, right? How do you have church discipline if there is no church? Or if it's just me and my bros hanging out at the beach? So, let's do this. Let's take a step backwards and ask a really basic question. Whose idea was church anyway? Was it just a bunch of guys who got together 2,000 years ago and said, hey, let's, uh, let's get some rules in order. Let's, let's do this on the Sabbath. Well, we'll make it Sunday because that's the first day of the week now that Jesus has risen from the... We'll just, we'll kind of you know, set some rules and, and ruin people's Sundays, take away half their Sundays, that's a bummer, or Saturday night, if it's, well, this, whose idea was this anyways? Do me a favor, if you haven't already, turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. So the New Testament, if you open your Bibles, you go to the right, New Testament, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to go kind of the middle of the verse there. And we see this quote. It's interesting. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter? Did Peter say that? Paul? Well, no, but he was still Saul. Paul wasn't on the scene yet. John? Who's, 
you guys know, who, who said that quote? Yell it out. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. The gates of hell is a figure of speech that speaks of Satan and his demons. And Jesus says, I will build my church and Satan, this is, man, I want us to get this down. The stakes are so high. When we minimize church, we minimize who we're fighting against. When church becomes me and my bros hanging at the lake, we minimize what, what the battle really is. Jesus says, I will build my church and Satan and his legions will storm out of the gates of hell to attack it. Oh, dude, that's heavy. Yeah, it is heavy. Oh, man, you're, you're bringing me down. I know in America, we have the right to be like, dude, church is at the beach. Don't bring me down. The rest of the world's like, the gates of hell are storming against us. Legion after legion after legion. We desperately need each other. We're like, eh, church, podcast, couple worship tunes, by myself at my house, good enough. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not over." coming now please listen to this I, I want us to be encouraged in this this is a guarantee an absolute 100% guarantee I will build my church and Satan will not destroy it but there's one condition hidden, hidden in this statement that we forget right super simple here it is I will build my church you see the only way that the church will ever have the guarantee that Satan will not overpower it is when Christ builds it his way, not your way, not culture's way, not my way, but his way. So this morning in our passage, this is really important, we're gonna see how Jesus builds his church. Kevin did a, man, you gotta listen to it if you haven't listened to it yet. Fantastic job of pointing to how as Peter preached, the church is established. Now what? Now what? Really? The church established on the blood of Jesus, and now as centuries have gone on, the blood of the martyrs, and we're like, I don't even know what it's for. He tells us what it's for and what it looks like. Acts chapter two, if you haven't turned there, please turn there, Acts chapter two. And we're gonna see what happens. And Kevin, boy, he set us up. The Holy Spirit has now come. So we're gonna see what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up and awakens his people to the love and salvation of Jesus and what happens when the Holy Spirit is present amongst God's people. Acts chapter two, verse 41. Those who accepted his message, Peter's message, were baptized. And as, as my brother said, I'll say it again, this is really important. Um, baptism wasn't a suggestion, it was a command. 
was, and he, I'm pointing like he's there. The guy who just got baptized, who was there. He even said to me, he goes, I, I, for, for the last three years, I've just been thinking of one excuse after another not to get baptized. That's the devil. No one was standing there. They heard the message. Spirit of God falls down. They hear the message. They're now in the, they're in the kingdom of God. No one went, eh, I'm, what? I don't know. I'll wait. They're like, I'm ready. I'm ready. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves. Now we're seeing the formation of the church, and it's going to build. It's going to build. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and they ate together. A lot of eating. Don't you love this church? As Jim says, the 11th commandment, baby. I agree. Thou shalt always have food when gathering, right? You get your bagel? You know where the bagels are, right? You know that. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Three weeks ago, I kicked off our series on the book of Acts. And I said that the church, it isn't a monument. Monuments are obtainable. Oh, yeah, I go to my church. It's on 22nd Street. It sits on a piece of land. That's, that's the building. And when I go to the building, I go to church. That's a monument. Church is on the move, baby. Church is on the move. Church, the church of Jesus Christ, is a movement and movements move. But before they can move, really move, they need to be healthy. So this morning, we're going to look at Five aspects of a healthy church that will allow us to move more effectively. Now, when I say healthy church, I'm not saying perfect church. No such thing, but a healthy church. Okay, um, the first aspect comes from the first part of verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. If you're here um, with us at New Heights this morning, again, I'll say as Angela said, thank you for being here with us. Appreciate that. You could be out on the lake or someplace else and you're here with us. We appreciate that. But if you've come to New Heights for any amount of time, you know that we believe that the Bible is the only book that God wrote. We believe that it is perfect and that everything else is to be subject to its truth and that the big idea of the Bible is the person and work of Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. It's not about you and me. Now, the Bible's for you and me, but it's about Jesus. That's how we identify cults. Cults want to get away from Jesus. Oh, he's just a man. Oh, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's sort of God, not really. Oh, he's this. Oh, he's that. No, no, no. He's not the most important. No, he's the most important. He's the most important. So practically, this means that New Heights, as God has called us to form this, this thing called the New Testament church, it means that at New Heights, we always teach the word of God. You get in a small group, you're like, wow, word of God. Children's word of God. Youth, college, Yopro, global. 
Obviously, our equipping classes Sunday morning, women's ministries, men's ministries. Not only do we teach the Word of God, but we, we teach it in season and out of season. Like right now, we're, we're creeping up on an out of season moment in our, our history in America. Things that we used to take for granted, what I would call that, that Judeo-Christian ethic covering is, is no longer, almost no longer there. So the question is, what rules, God's word or culture? What rules, God's word or family? What rules, God's word or my feelings? You're like, man, Lee, it is hard out there. Oh, man, it's hard. We're getting made fun of and what we traditionally believe is being laughed at. We're being marginalized. Hey, welcome to the rest of the world. By far, number one persecuted people group, Christians. Christians. Jesus said, those who stand firm to the end will what? Be saved. You're like, yeah, I thought that was for Christians in Pakistan, not for me. When the culture is for us, when the culture is against us, no matter what, the word of God is our final authority. Also, I want us to see that through preaching and teaching, the church comes into existence. This is really important. People are not born with an innate understanding of who Jesus is. When I first became a follower of of Jesus at 17, man, I had so much heresy flowing through my veins. I, literally, I, I told you, I, I walked that aisle at that fundamental Baptist church. I gave my life to Jesus. I ran home and began to read my Bible. Um, and then I began to give advice to my mom and my brother and my sister and my stepdad. And I was saying all sorts of crazy things. Like, if you do this, God will do it. I was full of heresy. I didn't know what I was doing. Full of the spirit, full of heresy. Then a guy by the name of Ron Nazem, a 30-year-old carpenter who worked at the youth ministry, said, hey, man, would you like to be discipled? I'm like, what is that? Well, let me show you. And every week, we met at Ron's house, 5.30. He'd get off work, come home, get a shower. We'd be sitting in his living room. Myself, Carson Rich, and Mike Parker, and he just opened the word of God and began to walk through the Bible. We're like, oh, my word. This is amazing. This is great. I also want us to see that, that a sermon is what bursts the church. Where there is no preaching and teaching of the Bible about Jesus, there is no church. Don't be confused. It might be a social club, a civic organization, a social gathering, a cause-oriented group. I don't know, but this, there, there is not the church of Jesus Christ where there is no teaching of the word of God. Just like the world was brought into being through the word of God's mouth, the church was brought into existence by the word of God. That God's word be true and every man what? A liar. Don't trust me. You gonna trust me apart from the word of God? You're in trouble. First aspect of a healthy church is the teaching of God's word. Second aspect of a healthy church is also found in in verse 42. And I want you to notice the flow. And Nathan Allen pointed this out. I I stole it from him. He told me in between service. I thought this was really good. That when we come together to hear God's word, the natural outflow is the second thing, and that's fellowship. We want to be around like-minded people, gathered around God's word. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Healthy churches do life together. Part of that's breaking bread. If you're in a, like a small group or a gathering um, and you have the wherewithal and there's no food, bring food. Can I just preach for a little bit here? Bring good food. If you're struggling for ideas, come talk to me. I'm pretty good with this. No lie, Ruth and I, three years ago, we went to, it was the, one of the greatest all-time small groups ever. Went to visit a small group that was filled with 20-something couples. They were all addicted to Pinterest. Thank you, Jesus. Like, we went there, it was like a five-star meal. I'm like, is this every week? They're like, every week. I'm like, may the Lord bless you and keep you. It's phenomenal. They came together to fellowship. They came together to break bread. They were intentional about spending time together. By the way, here is a two-minute video on how not to have fellowship. Take a look. It's so funny it hurts, right? <laughs> Write this down. Fellowship means holding all things in common. Fellowship means holding all things in common. Well, how do you do that unless you know one another? How do you do that unless you hang out with one another? How do you do that unless you get real 
with one another. I just want you to think about this. The 3,000 believers are added to the 20. There's 3,020 believers. They had come for the Feast of Pentecost. The next thing you know, they're like, oh, wow, we're in this thing called life together. And it wasn't easy. I'm not saying it's ever easy, but it wasn't easy then, the persecution. Um, the lack of training, these brand new believers, they desperately, they desperately needed one each other. You see, God has designed that this life should be manifest through a body. That's his design. And if the body is unhealthy, if the body is not operating, then, then, then the life is not manifest. And that means there is no power because the life of God is, is meant to revolve around Holy Spirit power. And the reason the church, in my opinion, has been so powerless lately is that it has been so fragmented and broken. And we have estranged ourselves from from each other. I want you to take a look at this. This is really powerful because this is body life stuff that Paul, Paul meant for the church in Ephesus and he means for us today. Ephesians chapter four. And he's talking about, as, as, remember, he's writing back to the church and they're trying to figure this thing out. How do we do church together? As we're meeting house to house, which they would have done, and, and they're fellowshipping in their community, how do we do it together? And Paul says this. He says, here's one way not to do it. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building, up, building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Man, if you're doing life together, be careful what you say. Be careful. Because if you're not careful what you say, you grieve, verse 30, the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He gets more practical. Verse 31, oh, by the way, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along, man, he's hidden them, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in, in Christ, God forgave you. If community and, and fellowship isn't happening, um, then the spirit of God is grieved. And when he is grieved, he doesn't act. And when he doesn't act, there is no life. And the church becomes dull and dead and sterile and, and mediocre. This is why when Holy Spirit begins to move in any congregation, here's what he does. He begins to heal the brokenness of their lives and their relationships one with another. And he gets them to to get real, to begin to deal with anger and malice and unforgiveness and jealousy. And when you start to get real, you start to get transparent, and that's when the the spirit breaks loose. Let me give you just practically, I think this is really important. These are kind of no does, but, but four I kind of call a litmus test, four elements of healthy connection in in community. This is kind of a a self-evaluation. If you're, whether it's a a men's Bible study or it's a community group or whatever it might be, these four things need to be going on. Let's go through them quickly. Number one, make sure you're accessible. There's just no barrier to entry within the group or or to you personally. Number two, uh, this is again a given, but we struggle with this. Be transparent. Remember, the devil loves darkness. He loves it. Those moments when you're like, I need to unburden myself. I need to get real. And you can literally feel this demonic presence going, be quiet. Don't say anything. Keep it to yourself. He hates the light. When it gets out in the light, God begins to do business. Number three, make sure you're responsive to one another's needs. 
And when you're responsive, this is, this is what happens, number four. You become emotionally engaged in one another's lives. In other words, you, you rejoice with those who rejoice and you mourn with those who mourn. Just practically speaking, if Ruth and I are in a group and someone says to me, could be in front of the group, it could be after the group or before the group, and they just say, hey, our marriage is in a really bad place. Man, this is a moment. The temptation, your thought bubble is, oh, who am I? Or man, this is, this is heavy. Or wow, what do I do? But what I need to do right there is, is go, hey, let's unpack this, right? It doesn't need to stay packed. Can I suggest maybe that you go to the Joshua Center? I'll give you a refer, Or maybe you want to hang out with us. Here's a book or here's a conference. Hey, can I, can I check up on you? Hey, tell me more about that. Man, I'm hurting with you. Hey, can we pray for that? Third aspect of a healthy church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Fellowship blends in to prayer. As we fellowship together, just as I just said, we begin to say, hey, what are your needs? And how can we pray? Churches traditionally struggle with four things and the church has to be very intentional about these four things. We struggle with the poor because um, we're not sure what value they have to us. Isn't that harsh? We're like, they, they don't tithe and they're, they tend to have really messy backgrounds. And we struggle with the lost. With those who don't know Jesus. Again, they're, they're messy. It takes a long time to do salt and light. We struggle not at New Heights, but a lot of churches traditionally struggle with missions. Overseas intentional missions, it's a lot of strategy, a lot of planning, a lot of attacks from the enemy, and a ton of money. And I've been, I, I'm old enough now, I've been in enough churches where we begin to justify away going to the nations. Well, there's lots of people here. Well, what about the new, you know, bowling center for our youth or what? I mean, it gets crazy. We're like, people have never heard the gospel. Well, you know. And then lastly, at churches, often we struggle with prayer, especially in America, because we're a do culture, not a dependence culture. And God is like, he says this in the book of James, you have not because you ask not. The apostle Paul, who was a doer, he said this, pray without ceasing. It reminds me, to a certain extent, of Deuteronomy 6, when you get up, when you lie down, when you go for a walk, when you pray, 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 pray. At the end of his letter to the church of Ephesus, he, just got, he had just finished talking about spiritual warfare. And what's, what's the response to spiritual warfare? It's prayer. Check this out. He mentions it five times. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. He's closing out his, his letter. And he says, and pray in the spirit. Be filled with the spirit. Walk in the spirit. On all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will, I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel of Jesus, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray again that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. 
Healthy churches pray, but because our natural tendency is to do and not pray, a healthy church has to be intentional to encourage its body. At New Heights, we go to great lengths to encourage our body to pray. From the prayer room on College Avenue to prayer in our community groups to a prayer time at the end of every Sunday service. We call it our ministry time. We're going to do that in just a few minutes. To every Tuesday, our staff begins with an hour of prayer and worship. Also, on every Tuesday, a group of people meet to pray for our global workers. We also have a night of worship at the Boys and Girls Club, right where you're sitting. All the, this place becomes, um, becomes a place of worship, a place of prayer, a place of healing, a place, a place of God doing crazy, amazing things. Fourth aspect of a healthy church is found in verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were, were done by the apostles. Prayer now leads to miracles. Some of you are nervous about this one, but the early church wasn't. You, we might translate verse 43 this way. And awe came upon every soul. I mean, do you get this? I mean, people, people are like, wow, that's amazing. Somebody got healed. God, you're amazing. You're awesome. Somebody got saved. God is at work. We're not alone. Look at this. God's here and he's doing things in, in, in the lives of his people. At New Heights, we, we believe that God can still heal. So we pray for healing and we've seen God heal people. At New Heights, we believe that those who are oppressed by unclean spirits can be delivered. They experienced that in Acts and we experience that today. At New Heights, we see God answering prayers. We see God helping, serving, loving, healing, providing for his people. And when he does this, a sense of awe comes over us. And we say, that's amazing. God loves us and he's here with us. Now, to me, this is one of the most important things. He sees us. He sees us. Three different times in our marriage, Ruth and I have had people pray prophetic words over us. People who don't know us, have no idea who we are. Uh, last time we were in Northern California, just a couple months ago, a month and a half ago, and two college girls in a middle schooler had no idea who we were. They prayed four specific things, impossible. Ruth was weeping, I was weeping. And when I got done, I looked at Ruth, and here's what I said. I said, Ruth, I, I didn't care that they had prayed cool things that God had done through us. I could care less about that. Here's what I cared about. God sees me. I matter so much to God that he speaks through a, a middle schooler and two college girls who don't even know my name. And he reads my mail. And I came away going, God, you are awesome. I'm not. You are. And we recorded it. And every so often, we'll play it. And we'll cry all over again. I know, it's pathetic, right? And we look at each other and we're like, we matter to God. We matter. Please, this is so important. At New Heights, we don't chase signs and wonders. But we do believe that signs and wonders should follow God's people who chase after Jesus. We're not looking for the latest thing. We're pursuing him and those things follow us. Jesus said this. I didn't say this and so I'm, I'm a little nervous about it. He said a wicked and adulterous 
generation seek a sign. At New Heights, we're not chasing signs and wonders. We're chasing Jesus. And signs and wonders follow those who chase Jesus. Last aspect of a healthy church. Verse 44. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. I know what you're thinking. Well, Lee, how do miracles flow into generosity? I would say this, sometimes we're the miracle. (laughs) Sometimes God goes, I have blessed you to be a blessing. I'm gonna use you to be a miracle to someone else. Oh, wow, that's the church. That's the church. In generosity, we remember that God gives. He he gave us the earth. (laughs) When we stumbled and fell and we sinned, he gave us Jesus. For God so loved the world, he gave. Jesus comes and he lives amongst us and he lives without sin. Then he gives us his life and he dies. You think, well, Jesus, are you done giving? No, he rises and then who does he give? The Holy Spirit. He ascends into heaven and and then he gives us the word of God. He gives us the people of God. He gives us, he's preparing a place for us. He's got an inheritance for us in his kingdom that will endure forever. Um, Our Jesus is unbelievably generous. And once you meet Jesus and you receive the Holy Spirit, unless for some reason you're grieving the Holy Spirit or quenching the Holy Spirit, he awakens in you a desire to be generous. And you say, man, if I've received so much, I want to give. Let me just remind us, this is important. I was thinking about this. Who is the one disciple who wasn't a giver, he was just a taker. What was his name? Judas. The other disciples weren't perfect, but they were givers. Judas was a taker. As a child of God, I wanna be a giver and not a taker. And sadly, we live in a world filled with takers and not a lot of givers, but we're different. And then we begin to see God's people becoming unbelievably generous. They start to give their possessions to other people. And some of them are selling their possessions and they're giving the proceeds to the people. Later on, in just a couple weeks, we're gonna see they're selling like their houses and their lands and they're laying the the money at the feet of the apostles. They're like, man, take it. We've been given eternal life, take it. It's all house money now, man. Now, let me just say this. I've gotta clarify this because immediately, there's always that one person in every church who when they hear this, you know what they say? You know what they say. Whoa, that's communism right there. Look, they didn't even own their own stuff. It was all put in a big pot and you can just take, take what you want. No, that's not the way it works because communism denies private property ownership. I'll take you back to government 101. The government owns your land. The government owns your house. The government owns everything in communism. This is not communism. This is volunteerism. They willingly gave up their stuff out of what? A love for Jesus. When people force stuff from you and, and you're not gonna love anything. If they're like, here, I'm taking it for you, I'm gonna make it, you're like, The Bible doesn't believe in communism, but generosity. Your house, your car, your income, your wealth, your possessions, those are yours. He, it, it all comes from God, but get this. I don't understand this. It all comes from God, but he trusts us with them. He trusts us. The church doesn't have any right to them. I can't come to your house. Can you imagine me coming to your house? 
And I'm like, hey, dude, knock, knock, knock. I'm reading Acts chapter 2. I think I want uh, your Land Rover. I want that. Yep. As a matter of fact, Jim and I were thinking, we need a new pastor mobile. That would be so nice. It says approved. Approved by God to be given to Jim and Lee. And oh, by the way, that John Deere tractor, that looks pretty good too. See you later. Acts 2, baby. You, no, no. You say it's mine. I paid for it. We have no right to take, but get this. From the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we're invited to give. That's amazing. I've given you everything, Lee. Would you please give back? Wow. I've given you these birds to harass you the whole service. My eye is on the sparrow. I just wish the sparrow was outside. <laughs> I love this. I love this. We're invited to give. Do you see the difference? This is the difference between a tax and a tithe. A tax is where the government does what? Have you noticed this? They take. Can you negotiate it? You could try uh, from prison. <laughs> The government just takes. Now, I'm not saying all of it's bad. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. But that's what they do. The church doesn't have a tax. It doesn't belong to us. Instead, that's, there's the tithe. This is where you give. And if you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you love the church and you love, you love God's people, you're going to give. Now, get this. Healthy churches constantly put spirit-filled tension on their members to give away their time talents and resources not only to each other but to a lost and very needy world last thought for this morning when God's church is living by the power of the Holy Spirit it's not perfect we'll see that later in the book of Acts but here's what happens teaching fellowship praying miracles and generosity but I don't want to leave this out Kevin really camped on this last week none of that happens unless we do it by and through the power of the comforter the Holy Spirit given to us so let me leave you with this you can do some of these things in the flesh and after a while it'll get old and boring and you'll get angry and upset and there'll be no spiritual fruit (laughs) Or, as it says in Galatians chapter 5, you can stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as Jim talked about, dynamite power. And you can say, by the power of the Holy Spirit, no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. When we say yes to the Spirit each and every day, every day I get up and I'm like, Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me, Fill me afresh. Fill me anew. And when that happens, man, I want to pray. I want to fellowship. I want to give. I'm ready to see God do the miraculous. I'm praying into that. I want to teach. I want to be taught. Jesus said, I didn't say this. I will build my church. And even when legions of demons and Satan himself come flying out against me. They won't prevail. 
They won't prevail. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Let's pray. Just bow your heads right now. I'm going to ask people on the prayer team to come on up. There's going to be people all over this room who want to pray with you, want to spend time with you. But just bow your heads. I want you to think about these last two scriptures in our text. Just meditate quietly there. When we see God's people in action, we see the church gathered and formed, not in perfection, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's, Here's what starts to happen. Verse 46 Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they they ate together in their homes and broke bread and with glad and sincere hearts. Now get this, they praised God and they enjoyed the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you're here this morning and for some reason you, you, you don't know this Jesus that I'm talking about, let me encourage you again of some things that I didn't talk about. I didn't talk about the church as a building. I didn't talk the church, uh, about the church as, uh, as a denomination or, or a group of religious leaders. The church is about Jesus and it's a movement and it's on the move. If you're here this morning and you're fascinated, you're interested, you're convicted about who Jesus is, you're not sure who he is and you, but you're thinking, I, maybe I wanna be a part of the movement All around this room, there are people that want to talk to you about that. I'm going to be up here. You'll see others. Come talk to us about the person of Jesus. He's the reason we do what we do. It's why we're here. It's why we're in a gym with folding chairs and chirping birds. Jesus, he's awesome. He's worth it. I got to tell you, I love being part of the movement. I didn't grow up in it. Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. Andrew's going to talk a little more about communion here in just a few minutes. He'll tell you more about what that looks like and why it's so important to us as followers. But for right now, I just want to pray for you. Father, thank you for every soul in here, fearfully and wonderfully made. You can't stop thinking about them. Those you know and love, you tell us that your eyes are on the righteous and they never leave the righteous. For those who are far away from you, prodigals, you're running after them. You're running after them, God in so many different ways. Maybe this is one of those ways today. You brought them here for such a time as this. I pray for their souls. I pray that they'd come to a place where they embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. And again, Father, thanks for letting us be part of the movement. Man, use us. Use us to glorify Jesus. May we teach the word with power and passion. May we fellowship with transparency. May we... God, may we pray with dependence. May we expect you're going to do the miraculous and may we give sacrificially. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.